Welcome, and thank you for listening to this audio sermon from Lighthouse Baptist Church. For more information about our ministry, go to lbccincy.com. And now for the message from Pastor Nathan Lang. John chapter number six. I'm going to uh, turn to. I'm going to read you one other verse, but then uh, we're going to we're actually going to be in John chapter six. I, I really I really want to help you. I really do. Um, wh- one of the hardest jobs of, of a pastor is is making sure that uh, you know we know that it's in a sense I I feed you the word of God from the pulpit, but we know that you're supposed to be feeding yourselves because you're older than two years old. Uh, but but the reality is you you do need to have meat and milk from the Word of God, from the pulpit. And, uh, and finding out exactly what everyone needs sometimes is hard. I'll be honest with you. As, as I pray and I go to my prayer closet and say, God, what do you want me to give next week? What do you want me to give next month? What do you want me to give next year? And uh, it, it can be difficult because everyone is at a different stage in here. Some of you have been saved for a short time. Some of you have been saved for decades. Some of you have gone through some of the most hor- horrendous tragedies in your life over the past few months, and some of you, you've been on top side for the past few months. You, you, could, you wouldn't change anything if you could. And uh, so, there, so there's so much to, to, to pray about and knowing what to give. Uh, and then you get the, 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 the occasional, uh, I know why you preached that. You were preaching that at me. And uh, uh, well, if you're sitting in here, you're, you're smarter than you look. I was preaching that to you. And, uh, but whether or not I was preaching it at you is debatable. And so, uh, so here, here's the thing. If you think I'm preaching something at you, just look around you. There's, you know, 70 other people that I'm preaching to, and uh, don't flatter yourself, okay? And, uh, you know, you heard me say that one time, you're so vain, you probably think this sermon's about you. And uh, no, uh, this, this message is to be to you, not at you. But let me read one verse while you're, while you're, you're finalizing yourself there in, in the book of the gospel of John chapter 6. The Bible says in Luke chapter 9 verse 23, and he said to them all, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Now we know in the scripture that there is to be a dying to self. Uh, we know that we're to die to self, we're to bury this flesh every day, we're to wake up resurrected every day. Uh, just like when you dunk somebody in the baptism tank, they go under, they get dunked, they're buried in the likeness of his death, and they come up out of the water in newness of life. And uh, there's a resurrection that happens, and every day there's, there's literally, and uh, some people even joke about that, that there's literally a resurrection that has to happen for you every morning for you to get up out of that bed, and maybe that's the case for you, uh, and that's okay, but but uh, I want to ask you in here today, uh, is Jesus enough for you? Is, is G- Listen, uh, we get so entangled in, in life. We, we, get so, we get so wrapped up in, in what's going to happen after we leave church today. We get so wrapped up in what's going to happen at work next week. We get so wrapped up in how am I going to make this and how am I going to, how am I going to get the right grades and, and how am I going to do this and that. And we get so wrapped up in these things that we forget that Jesus is enough. Amen. Jesus. Resting in Him is enough. And, uh, and that, that's what I want us to leave here with that, with that mindset here today. Uh, let me ask you, here's part of the problem. Why Jesus does not become enough is because we have not rest, rested and settled our own identity. Who do you identify with? Who is your identity rested upon and in? 
You see, if, the, if, you, if you search your heart today, if you find yourself restless, if you find yourself discouraged, depressed, don't know what to do, uh, let, let, me, let me just ask you, I can't tell you who you're resting upon and who you're, who you're identifying in, but let me just say this, uh, if you're not identifying with Christ, then you are going to be restless. It's impossible for you to have peace while you're settled. If you're settled in Christ, you're not going to have a lack of peace because he is peace. If you're having just a really, really rough time in here today, and listen, I don't, want you, I don't want to come out of the gate like you think I'm attacking you here. I'm actually doing the opposite. I'm trying to help you this morning. Amen. You'll always be attacked in the place of your identity. Did you hear that? Right. You'll always be attacked in the place of your identity. That's because the enemy, who is the father of lies knows if you forget you're a child of God uh, and knows that you'll uh, believe his lies and divide from God uh, and, and others, you know, and, and, and ultimately from yourself. Did you know that the word anxious literally means divided? I'm just always anxious. You're always divided. You're always divided. You haven't settled who you are. And let me say this. When you search who you are, it should not be found uh, at ESPN. It shouldn't, your, your, your identity should not be found uh, in some cookbook. Your, your identity should not be found in some self-help book. Your identity should not be found uh, in, in what, you, what your hobbies are. Your identity should be in Christ. That's where our identity should be. We have a desire to be great because God put greatness inside of us and he meant for us to do great things. He did not mean for us to live in discouragement and despair and he doesn't want us to live there. Let me ask you, who are you today? You may be sitting here saying, I really don't know, Pastor Lang. Well, I'm glad you're here. Hopefully we'll, 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 we'll get this taken care of today. I love there's an old song that I heard many years ago. It's, uh, it, that some of the lyrics go like this. When the world looks at you, do they see Jesus? When the world looks at you, what do they see? Do they see hope? Do they see love? Do they see charity? When the world looks at you, what do they see? You see, the world should not look at a Christian. Now, I know that there's times where we're having a hard time. And if you're having a hard time in here today, I don't want you to get discouraged. I want you to, I want you to, to perk up here for a minute. Here, listen, when, when we get discouraged and the world sees us discouraged, uh, that's not the view they should see. And here, here's the thing. We allow Satan to mess with our minds. We allow Satan to get under our skin. We allow ourselves to get in this state of despair where we don't know which way is up. We don't know where to go. Uh, and, and we just sit there. And ultimately, what we end up doing is nothing. And that's exactly what Satan loves. Now, some of you are sitting there and you're literally scratching your head saying, Pastor, what are you talking about? You haven't been there yet. You haven't been there yet. Just hold on. Just hold on. File this message because you're going to need it someday. You're going to need it someday. You see, I'm going to show you a, a, a part in the, a, in the scriptures where there was an absolute amazing thing happened. Jesus was healing people left and right. He was healing people. He was performing miracles almost everywhere he went. And things were just going so great. Let's look at John chapter 6 and verse number 1. After these things, Jesus went over the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. And a great multitude followed him because they saw his miracles, which he did on them that were diseased. They fought. Why did they follow him? Go ahead, class. Why did they follow him? Because they saw all these miracles he was doing. 
And Jesus went up into the mountain, and there he sat with his disciples. And the Passover, a feast of the Jews, was nigh. When Jesus then lifted up his eyes and saw a great company come unto him, he saith unto Philip, Whence shall we buy bread that these may eat? Let's pray. Father, Lord, I pray as that I preach this message this morning, I ask that it would be a help to everyone in here. I pray we would leave here encouraged. Lord, I pray that we would leave here fed. We would leave here, Lord, if, uh, if, if there's anyone here that's not saved, I pray that they would trust you today, whether it be in here or in junior church. Lord, we would, I pray that if there's anyone lost here today on property, that today would be the day of their salvation. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> when I think about this chapter and the great crowds that gathered around, could you imagine that, being able uh, to, to have... I mean, hundreds and hundreds and tens of thousands of people surround you because you've got this ability to, to help them. Uh, and then you've got to the point where you've got to feed them physically. You've got to feed them. And uh, by now, you know, thinking about Jesus and his traveling, uh, he was at the height of his popularity. Uh, word had spread about miraculous healings and, and all of this stuff that he was doing, this inspirational teaching he was giving uh, and uh, about, the, about the, the, the coming of, of, of the second coming of Christ and all these sort of things. And, uh, and all these people gather around. You've got, the Bible says, uh, 5,000 men. And, uh, and of course, you know, a lot of good Baptists try to blow those numbers up. It goes from 5,000 to 25,000 uh, before you get... Uh, here, I've never been one to try to examine those numbers. The, grand, the fact is, in this time period, they did count the men, not the women and children. And so people say there was an ex- excess of, of, of more than likely 10,000 people there. Uh, but, but here's the deal. If, if you're feeding with just a few loaves and a few fishes and, and you just take the 5,000, that's a miracle in and of itself. You don't have to bulk those numbers up. You don't have to make it bigger than what it is. But after a full day, Jesus knew people uh, were getting hungry, and he's preaching, and he's teaching. Uh, and after this full day, Jesus uh, decided, uh, hey, we've got to feed them. So he turned uh, to his disciples, and he asked them, uh, hey, what do we have for food? And he already knew the answer, of course. One of his disciples, Philip, told Jesus that even, even if they had eight months' wages, it wouldn't be enough money to, to buy bread for everyone to have just a bite. He said, we are way off what we need here, Jesus. We, we don't even come close to what we need financially to meet this need. Uh, and so from Philip's perspective, uh, you know, this, this, this wasn't their problem. And even if, even if it was, there really wasn't anything that they could do. Hey, hey, we don't have to feed these people. Hey, that's their problem. He says, no, 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 they've been here with us. We need to take care of this. But another disciple, Andrew, had been scanning the crowd and told Jesus uh, he had saw this boy in the crowd that had some food. And he had five loaves and two small fishes. And uh, I can picture Andrew making his announcement with a smile and a sense of expectation uh, that Jesus might meet that need. Hey, I don't have much, but this is what I've got. You can have it. It's yours. And Jesus didn't disappoint He took the boy's sack of lunch and he fed the entire crowd. And the Bible tells us that even after everyone had had their fill, that there was still baskets left over. There was more when Jesus was finished than what they started with. Can I say that Jesus loves to do that? After dinner, the crowd decides to camp out for the night so they uh, can be with Jesus the next day. You know what they are? They're committed to this thing. Or are they? Now, I'm being a little facetious here today. You know, I've learned years ago, and Brother Damasus and I have talked about this on a number of occasions, uh, I, I'm not in, in, in the work that I'm in, I'm not a pastor uh, to try to entertain people. 
Now, I may tell a funny joke here and there. I I joke around probably too much sometimes. Uh, But here's the thing. I'm not in the business of trying to entertain people. I'm not, you know, we'll have some bounce houses out here, you know, for the kids here in in a few weeks for the the trunk or treat. And we'll do some of those things. There's nothing wrong with those things. Uh, But can I say that the main goal is not so that we can entertain the community. The main goal is for us to get the gospel to them. And can I say, the moment we cease to be that gospel-oriented, gospel-centered church, that is the moment uh, that Christ ceases to be pleased with this church. And so Jesus, here he goes, he has a problem. Now, Jesus didn't mean it for it to go this way, but he literally has these people following him because they were excited about this miracle that that he had just done, and they were excited about the potential of more miracles, and hey, it was kind of a, hey, what are you going to do next, Jesus? Let's see what's next up his sleeve. And can I say, that is not, that is absolutely not a reason to go to a Bible church. It is not to see what the pastor's going to, illustration he's going to give next. It's not to see what he's going to say next. It's not to lean on the end of your chair so that you can see what he's going to entertain you with. We should come because we're thirsty for the Word of God. After dinner, the crowd decides to camp out and, uh, there, and the next morning, the crowds wake up, and they're, what happens when you wake up in the morning? What do you need? Well, some of you say, I just need coffee, but uh, you need something to eat. You know, the problem's there again. Ready for a little breakfast, they look around for Jesus, uh, a.k.a. their meal ticket, but he's nowhere to be found. Eventually, they figure out that Jesus and his disciples, you know what they did? They got up and they went to the other side. Jesus wasn't on their timeline. Jesus had things to do. By the time they catch up with Jesus, they're starving. They're starving. And they've missed the chance to order breakfast. And they're ready to find out what's on the lunch menu. But Jesus has decided to shut down the all-you-can-eat buffet. There's a problem here. He's not handing out more free samples. I'll be honest with you. You could feed your kids at Costco's free samples. And we've done it on occasion. Brother Pete, I don't know if you've done it. You go to Costco, and I'm telling you right now, uh, they've, got, they've got tons of samples. Anyway, I know that because I've got six kids, and, we, and uh, you could at least get appetizers there. Amen? Look in verse number 26 of this chapter. John chapter 6 and verse 26. Jesus answered them and said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, ye seek me, not because ye saw the miracles, but because ye did eat of the loaves and were filled. Labor not for the meat which perisheth, but for that meat which endureth unto everlasting life, which the Son of Man shall give unto you, for him hath God the Father sealed. You see, Jesus decides to have a a DTR, a define the relationship moment with them. All right, now, wait a second now. You're not going to just come here to get what you can get. Hold on to your seats now, church. You're you're not just going to follow me because I'm going to feed you. You're not just going to follow me so you can watch all of the parade. You're not just going to follow me so you can see all the spectacular miracles of healing this person who's lame and healing that person who's blind. He said, no, no, that's not what this relationship is about. As a matter of fact, that's no relationship at all. And you know, I think about it, uh, you think, uh, well, I'll, get, I'll get ahead of myself if I'm not too careful here. I'll, uh, I, let me save that thought for a little bit later. But in verse 35, Jesus offers, let's look at it, verse 35. You're never going to believe this. You know what he offers in verse 35? He says, and Jesus said unto them, I am the bread of life. 
He that cometh to me shall never hunger, and he that believeth on me shall never thirst. You know what Jesus is offering? He says, hey, I'm not going to offer you any food. I'm not offering you a miracle. I'm not offering you something to entertain you. Hey, you know what I can give you? Hey, me. Me. Because here, here's the problem. It's just like any other outreach we've ever done. We can go down here to the projects and we can feed people all day long. We can raise thousands and tens of thousands of dollars and we can go feed them down at the soup kitchens. But what's going to happen six hours later? They need more food. And let me say this. We should not neglect that need. We've got to eat. If you're going to witness to people, if they're going to stay alive, they've got to have food in their belly in order for you to witness to them. But, but, but here, here's the thing. Here's the thing. It's not about just feeding them. It's not just about the miracle. Jesus says here, you need something far greater. And what that is, is you need me. I am the bread of life. He says, hey, if you come to me, you'll never hunger again. If you come to me, you'll never, spirit, you'll never thirst again. And of course, on the spiritual realm, don't get that confused. <laughs> and so he knows that these people are not going through all the trouble and sacrifice because they're following him, because they're following they're following the food. They're following the food. Can I say that we've got to be careful? I see on Facebook, I get invitations to other churches all the time, and I'm sure you've been invited to another church at time. And listen, just because it's not this church doesn't mean that it's not right. Just because they have promotions and different things. Hey, we do promotions for the bus routes. We give them candy. We give them pizza. We give them cheese cone. Hey, we, we give them things. But here's the deal. We've got to be very, very careful because if we're not, we're going to get to the point where we only come to church to see what we can get. We're only here to see what we can get from the church. That church doesn't, you know how many times I've heard this, oh, we can't send our kids to this church because we just don't have enough, they don't have enough programs for our kids, or the program's not big enough, or the program's not geared this way, or we don't have that. Hey, we can't go there because we want this in a music program. We can't go there because we want this and this. Hey, and, and, and you know what, I just love to be able to tell some folks who have that mindset all the time, hey, you wouldn't make it here. Because this ministry is not about what you can, hey, let's see here, we've got the checklist, let's get the shopping list out, honey, okay, now when we go to this church, we're going to find out exactly what they can do for us. Now, you don't say that audibly, but that's what's in there. Now, granted, you don't go to a church and, and just, okay, I'm just going to go here, it's first church, I'm not going to check anything out. I'm not saying not to have a, a great balance, but what I'm saying is, uh, never forget this, not too long ago, I was talking to somebody, I told you this. The person literally told me, a church here in Cincinnati that they were going to, they said, oh yeah, the doctrine's horrible, but we love the programs. They literally, no, that's, that was a direct quote. That wasn't preacher, oh, you exaggerated. No, the doctrine there is way off, but we love the programs. Did your, did your parents have any children that survived Oh, I tell you what, what, what am I saying? I'm saying we've got to be careful. Hey, why? I'm asking you, church, why? Why are we here? You say, well, I don't even know anymore. Well, we need to redefine this thing. We're not here for the program. We're not here. Hey, for years, for a couple years, we had food every Sunday night after every service. We had food every, every time. And you know what? There were some people who literally came just for the food. Did you, did you realize that? Some people did. And you know what? It didn't bother me. I was, hey, if they came to the service, if they came just for the food, I'd be a little upset. But if they came to the service, hey, that was okay with me. They were getting the word of God somehow. Jesus offers himself. Then he declared in verse 35, and Jesus said unto them, I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger, and he that believeth on me shall never thirst. You know, when Jesus is the only thing on the menu, 
you find out if he's the one you really are hungry for. When Jesus is the only thing on the menu, you're going to find out if he's truly what you're hungry for. You know, it's amazing to me when, when uh, uh, you know, going out to eat, we don't go out to eat that often in my household just because a family of eight, it's not cheap. Uh, usually if you see us out, you see us at McDonald's dollar menu type deal or something, uh, but uh, that's, usually, that's usually what we do. Uh, but you know, uh, it, it, it bothers me when I see, you know, when my kids go, we go somewhere and they say, they get picky about what they want to eat. I'm not eating this, so we are not that hungry then. When we're at our home, outside or inside, when we're, when we're at our home and they say, uh, I don't like what mom cooked today, you know, uh, I'm, can I just, let me just say this real quick. I'm thankful for the character my mom instilled in me. Um, I grew up, in, and this is, oh, here we go, preacher. No, listen, I grew up, I remember literally uh, my mom cooking, getting whatever she could out of the fridge, leftovers, getting a can of corn and getting, getting some ketchup and, I mean, making stuff. You know, she'd make a stew out of, out of ketchup, corn, and some lettuce or something. I mean, I mean, it was amazing what she put together. But you know what? If you were hungry, you found out because you ate or you didn't eat anything. My mom also had a rule. You did not leave the table until, you're, you're, until it's gone. You didn't leave a bite. You, you ate it. You know why? Because we didn't know where, where that next meal was going to come from all the time. Listen to me now. Sometimes we get a little too picky. Sometimes Jesus just isn't enough because, you know why? Because we have to wait and halt on his timing. Sometimes we've got to wait uh, for what he wants. When there are no other options, that's when you find out if Jesus is enough. Here you go. You want something? You want something great? Okay, here I am. You've got it. You've got it. So here in John chapter 6, the crowd is to decide if Jesus is enough. Are they hanging around for the perks? Is it, is it really about the relationship? Uh, do, do you remember what happened? The fans turned and go home, and, and here's what we read at the end of chapter, uh, chapter 6. Look at, uh, look at uh, verse number 66. From that time, many of his disciples went back and walked no more with him. At that time, many of his disciples walked back and walked no more with him. And in the long run, that's, that's what will happen. Scripture tells us that uh, wide is the road to, that leads to destruction. In the end, whether we like it or not, most people just won't accept Christ's invitation. Hey, it was exciting. Hey, I was here when it was exciting. Hey, but what about when there's problems and there's no problems in our church? But listen to me now. What about if there are problems? What, what if there is an adultery case? What if there is a, a, a backslidden case? What if there is a, a serious sin case? Hey, are we going to just say, hey, you know what? That's enough for me. Hey, I was just kind of casually in this thing. It really wasn't a committed thing. Uh, and then you leave. Hey, no, listen to me. Stick with it. You know, you know one thing I love about, about the book of Corinthians? Mr. Leaf, out of the book of Corinthians, as the most carnal church you'll see in the Bible pretty much uh, in the top two there. The most carnal church you see there, not one time did Paul say or Jesus say, you need to leave. You know what he said? Hey, you need to make some things right. Hey, we need to fix some things. We need to get some things together. You see, they like the idea of heaven. They like the idea of the miracles. They like the free bread. And you know, we used to literally give out free bread. Do you know... I'm sorry here, man. Let me just say this. I'm so glad that bread is gone. I am so glad. Do you, I can say it now because it's over. I had to break up more fights over that free bread than I have in any other counseling case in our church in 10 years. 
I mean, seriously, preacher, they took all three pies. They were free. They were greedy. Okay. No, but you don't understand. I wanted one of those pies. Then get your, get down to Kroger and buy you one. Hey, I'm flesh and blood too. Amen. But you know what? Hey, church was fun when I was getting free bread and free cookies and free cakes and free everything else I could find. But now it's just not so fun anymore because all we get is free water. All the water you can drink downstairs. All the coffee and donuts you can get. You know, brother guy, I wonder how many people will say, you know what, this whole getting here early thing's just not for me anymore because uh, we don't have donuts. Now, don't freak out. There's still donuts down there. So you say, I'm leaving. That's it. That's the last straw. After we read John 6, that many of his followers had left, Jesus turns to the 12 disciples in verse number 67. Let's look at it. Then said Jesus unto the 12, Oh, are you? Will ye also go away? You know, I, I've, I've, I've read this passage, I know, dozens and dozens and dozens of times. And to this day, this is one of the verses that I want to ask Jesus when I get there. Hey, can I see a replay on how you said that? Are you going to leave me too? I'll never forget this. A uh, uh, pastor friend of mine, Mr. Leaf knows him. He had had a uh, pretty bad church split. And um, never forget this. He went to his remaining people. He said, are you going to leave me too? And they said, no, we don't see any scriptural reason to leave. And I thought, wow, what a concept. <laughs> well, things are just getting difficult around here. You know, we don't have bread anymore. Um, you know, we don't have this. We don't have that. You know, preacher doesn't tell as many funny stories as he used to. You know, I think, I think the Lord's just moving us on. The Lord's not moving you anywhere. Preacher, you're so mean. I don't know how Jesus said that when he said, we also go away. I don't know if he was frustrated or angry. My guess is he spoke with a tone of disappointment and sadness. Are you going to go too? Really? After all I've done for you, after all I've preached to you, after all you've seen me do, you're, are you going to leave me because I didn't give you a piece of bread and some soup? Is that, really, is that really what it's going to take? Is that really why you were following me all these years? How would it feel if you started to date someone and you took them to the Aronoff Center for their first date? You paid for their popcorn, their drinks, their snacks. Everything's going great. Paid for their tickets. And after the date, you asked them out again. They said yes. And you say, you take them somewhere nicer the next time. Go to a fancy, nice restaurant. Take them down to the precinct. Ooh, that's a good date place. If you got about $200, <laughs> you let them order anything they want off the menu. And when the bill finally comes, you pick it up and pay. And with each date, you have more and more fun with that person and you feel real connection. And just when you think things are going the right way and serious, you ask them out on a special date and they agree. And you pick them up and you surprise them by taking them to the park. 
You go on a walk, you talk, you stop to sit on a bench and pour your heart out to that person, telling them how much you care about them and how much you want to uh, make them happy and fulfill them and all that stuff. And just as you finish pouring out all of your affection for them, they look at you and ask, is this the date? Is, is this really it? And pretty soon you realize they were just hanging around for the things that they could, you could get them. That they were just there for what they could get out of you. For the nights of free meals, for the entertainment. Let me ask you, wouldn't that break your heart? I can imagine that that might be how Jesus felt. So he asked his disciples, the men he's grown closest to, whether or not they'll leave. Would his most devoted disciples turn out to be just casual followers who weren't really sticking around for his teaching? Who really, you know, when things started to get tough, they decided, you know, uh, hey, can I, can I tell you this in here? As much as life is tough, sometimes things in church gets tough. Sometimes things at work gets tough. Sometimes life just is tough. So are you going to pour all of your identity in your work? Because guess what? Things at work will change eventually. Are you going to pour all of your identity into your hobbies? Because you know what? Hobbies are going to change. Are you going to pour all of your identity into sports? Because I've got news for you. Most of you are never going to make it. <laughs> I'm never forget. I played basketball for Pleasant Ridge. It was elementary school, but I was in junior high. I played basketball. Me and my cousin, uh, Don, they called him Big Don, uh, together, I was this big in junior high. I was six foot three in junior high size 12 shoe. And my cousin was actually two inches taller than me in eighth grade. We played basketball and we dominated underneath the, the basketball rim. They called us the Twin Towers. That's literally what on the announcement, they call us the Twin Towers. <laughs> and we had, a, uh, we had an Italian basketball coach who had the foulest mouth you've ever met. I've got cassette, VHS cassette tapes of those games, and you can literally hear him from the other side of the gym. You could hear him cursing us out. That's how, that's how bad he was. And I remember him setting us straight then. He said, look, guys, you're okay, but you're, you're, you're never going to make it into the pros. You better, you better pursue a, a, a career right now. And, uh, well, thank you for destroying my dreams. I thought coaches were supposed to build you up and help you along, but I didn't get that from him. What were they focused on? They focused on the crowds. They were there because their friend was there, but it never became personal. It was just, this is what we're doing because we have to. This is what we're doing because we feel good at it in the moment. No, listen, hey, when you're a disciple of Jesus Christ, things are going to get hard, and you must determine, I'm going to keep on going. I don't want to make anything about this message about me, but... As the pastor and some of the things that a pastor deals with, if I was going, they say the average pastor today, I'm not talking about 50 years ago, today the average tenure of a pastor is two years. Two years. 
That's the average tenure of pastor. If you look at the, we don't see churches closing down all around us, but there are churches every day in our country closing down because the pastors just can't take it. You know what the number, listen, do you know what the number one reason why pastors quit are? Criticism from their congregation. Criticism. Criticism. You say, what does that have to do with anything? Here's what I'm trying to say. Hey, life gets hard. I will make some of the decisions from this pulpit, from this church, that you will not like. Hey, by the way, this is more of a Sunday night style message, and I was praying whether or not to preach it tonight, but I thought, you know what? Sometimes Sunday morning you need it, so you're getting it today, okay? Uh, so that's where we're at. And uh, I literally flopped my Sunday morning and Sunday night message because I believe the Lord wanted me to. But here's the deal, verse 68. Then Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. And we believe and are sure that thou art the, that Christ, the Son of the living God. Can I say they found the right answer? We're not going to, we're not, hey, we're right here. And what am I trying to say in here today? I'm not, I'm not in here stressed about somebody's going to leave Lighthouse Baptist Church. Hey, I'm, I'm more stressed today about Christians leaving Christianity. I'm not talking about, I'm talking about just, just done walking out the door. I just read this morning, uh, um, I, I, there's, there's some missionaries, the Johnstons, and, and we don't support them financially, but they're in Canada. And I was reading some statistics this week on Canada. Uh, and 10 years ago, the, 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 the percentage of people who said, we don't believe in God, church, any of it, was 16%. In 10 years, it's gone from 16% to 24%. In 10 years. It shifted. That's almost one-fourth of that country that says, we don't associate with anything. Nothing. No God, no church, no nothing. And you know what our country is becoming? It's becoming an institute of casual Christians who participate in Christ when it's convenient. When it's popular. You see, here's one of the problems parents faced. It was... Okay, well, you know what? They've been taught the right thing, so they'll eventually turn back to church, eventually. And you know what? A decade, two decades ago, that is what was happening. Hey, you know, they got through their teen years, they got up to their 30s, they started having kids, they started thinking, wow, my kids weren't raised with the, with the, the doctrinal you know, foundation I had, so you know what we got to do? we got to get these kids in church, we got to teach them. And then they try to do that when they're 10 and 12 and 14 years old, when it's, I want to say it's too late, but it's almost too late. But here's the problem in our country today. Come on, look up here. The problem today is this. There's second and third generations of nothing. So their children don't have anything to return to because they knew nothing. And now parents are saying, scratching their head, oh man, maybe I shouldn't have let them make their choice. Maybe I shouldn't have let them make their own decision. No, listen, the Bible says train up a child in the way he should go. You don't let your decision, it, it's, it boggles my mind the parents will let their children make their own decision in, in, when it comes to spiritual things, but everything else they want to be hard-nosed on. You're going to do it my way, but spiritually, okay, you do what you want to do. Do you want to play Xbox or do you want to go to church? <laughs> it's kind of like when I was at, Brother Dave, when we were at Shawnee Baptist Church, now Brother Dave and Miss Allison came after, after I graduated, and, uh, but Brother Ed Snyder, who's in heaven now, he uh, they would do the kids' crusade, and they would always have a boy or a girl winner. And what he would do is he would get a little kid up there. He'd usually grab a little boy, and he'd say, all right, now, who should win, the girls or the boys? And, of course, they always go off the last thing he said that he shouted the highest, the boys. All right, the boys win, and they'd shout and cheer and get all excited. 
pie in the face, all that stuff. I think that's kind of how parents do today. You want to go to church or do you want to go to the park? Let's see. Hmm. Let me just say this real quick. You've got big problems if you have to convince your children to go to church. Every week. Every week. When I say convince, I mean where it's like a weekly decision. Are we going to do this or not? I don't mean like a few weeks kids are just like, I don't want to go. Hey, that's, not, that's, not the, that's another story for another day. But we need more parents to rise up and say, hey, I'm going to stay committed. We need more men. We need more men. We need more men to grow a backbone and say, this is what we are going to do. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Let me say this secondly. I said, number one, when Jesus is the only thing on the menu, you'll find out if he's the one you really want. Number two, when you really know Jesus, you don't want to leave him. You don't want to leave him. So here's what I'm trying to say. If you're struggling with your walk, if you're struggling with church, if you're struggling with any of this stuff, that I'm talking about today. <clears throat> I need you to check your relationship with the Lord. Check your identity right now. Am I rooted and grounded in Christ? Peter's answer sums it up. To whom shall we go? That one question seems to ask thousands of questions. Who could lead us like you could, Jesus? Who could teach us with wisdom like yours? Who could possibly bring us closer to God? Why would we ever want to leave the Messiah? Who else is worth following compared to you? How could we ever find someone else like you? You see, casual followers of Christ, uh, when his teachings get difficult, determine, okay, this is too much for me. Um, it's just kind, of a, just kind of a weekend thing we did, you know, a few times. My parents did it. We thought we'd try it. And it's, no, hey, no. Do you have a relationship with Christ? Uh, one of my fears, look, I'm not going to be too much longer here this morning. One of my fears, one of my fears is that we are, quote, leading people to Christ and they have no clue what they just did. Right. Hey, preacher, hey, they, they, we, we led them in the sinner's prayer. Okay, do they know what just happened? Do they realize that they passed from death unto life? Do they realize that there is a relationship that must be entered into? Uh, oh, no, no, no. Hey, but they prayed. They, they knew they were a sinner. They agree with me. Hey, yeah, they just tried to get you off their porch. Are you with me here? I'm not here doubting anyone's salvation. I don't want you to doubt some salvation. But what I'm trying to say is we've gotten into this one, two, three, pray after me deal. Uh, and can I say this? Uh, Brother Damascus, correct me if I'm wrong. I don't see Jesus anywhere saying, okay, bow your heads and pray this prayer. Ooh, I stepped on some toes, didn't I? Now, <laughs> I opened up a can. Let me go ahead and let me, let's, let's eat some of it right now. I'm going to eat a can of worms. I've led people to, in prayer. When I, when I preach, and, and sometimes I preach out, I don't have everybody come to the altar. I'll say, hey, I'll lead you in a prayer. But realize this, it's not a prayer that saves you. It's your faith in God. 
It's not, here's what happens. How many, how many of you know somebody, or maybe it's even you, who thought, man, did I say the right thing when I prayed? How many, how many of you how many have ever thought that? Listen to me now. If you can think that either, either the person who led you to Christ did not be thorough enough with you, or you're just, you could be just confused. Because if you can doubt your salvation based off the words that you said in a prayer, uh, listen to me now, then you were not dealt with properly in the first place. I'm not trying to offend you. But a relationship with Christ is what we're looking at. Hey, this is a transformation. Hey, I'm no longer in, uh, in my sin as, as in the fact of, uh, as in that I'm going to pay for my sin. Hey, that was paid for by Jesus Christ. Hey, I've put my faith in him. When I stand before God, uh, he's not going to say, all right, now, you know, you, I was kind of questioning this, Nathan, because your sinner's prayer was not quite the wording that I was looking for. Are you, are you with me here today? Too many people are doubting their salvation because they were not dealt with properly. Because they had to have a quota. That's one of the things I didn't like in Bible college. I'd see some of these guys, uh, they'd come back and they just wanted to get their list in and report that they had 10 saved and all this stuff, but you never saw any fruit from any of it. Were they saved? I'm not saying they weren't saved. What I'm saying is we don't go to heaven based on a prayer. We go to heaven based on our faith in Jesus Christ. If you're in here and you're doubting your salvation, uh, I'll never forget this. When I was in Bible college, I remember it was a camp week, and, and every week, I mean, you're talking for two months, you've got preachers coming through every night preaching and preaching, are you saved or not, and all this stuff. Uh, and one particular week, man, I, Satan just got in my head and was just messing. He was just messing with me. Are you really saved, Nathan? Are you really saved? And I went to my pastor that week. I said, I, I know what I did. I remember what I did. I remember I don't remember every word I said, but I remembered I realized I was lost and I needed Jesus Christ. And the best way I knew how, sitting there with my jeans and t-shirt, my beat up gym shoes, 12-year-old bus kid, I said, Lord, I know I'm a sinner. I know I don't deserve heaven, but the best way I know how, I'm, 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 I'm receiving you as my Savior. I'm trusting in you to take me to heaven when I die. He said, what are you trusting in to get you to heaven? I said, Jesus. He said, then what is your problem? Let me ask you in here today, when Satan shows up and he starts whispering in your ear, are you really saved? Did you say the right thing? Did you believe the right thing? Hey, if you put your faith in Christ, that is the ticket. That is the ticket. Are we okay in here this morning? You know, we wish we could have it all laid out. Can I say that I wish that God would just lay out in a book, all right, Nathan, this is how you're supposed to handle this. This is the job you're supposed to take. This is, I mean, just lay all, wouldn't it be wonderful if you didn't have to guesswork, you could just get your little magical book out and flip it open and say, okay, that's how I'm supposed to marry. Okay, that's how many kids we're going to have. Okay, that's where we're supposed to live. Okay, this is where I'm supposed to work. This is how I'm supposed to handle this difficulty. This is how I'm supposed to spank that kid. Oh, wait, uh, this is how I'm supposed to... This is how I'm supposed to deal with this spouse. This is how I'm supposed to handle this in life. But you know what? That's not how God operates. You know why? Because if we had all of that... It's the same reason. You know the statistics that I just gave you? It was 16% in Canada. Now it's 24% who don't believe in nothing, just don't care. It's because they don't feel that they need a reliance on God. 
And can I say this? If you had it all figured out, all that written in a book that tells you step by step what you're supposed to do, you wouldn't need God. And you know what we would do? We'd be left to ourselves and we would do our own thing. It doesn't, having it all mapped out is not going to change what, what you're going to do because we're going to do what we want to do regardless. That's not how life is. In the end, it comes down to whether Jesus is enough for you and me. And it comes down to whether or not we'll choose to move from being just a casual, I'll come when I can, to I'm plugged into this thing. I'm an active part of the body of Christ. Let's look at Matthew 7, verse 24, and I'll be finished. Matthew 7, verse 24. <clears throat> the Bible says, Therefore, whosoever heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them, I will liken him unto a wise man, which built his house upon a rock. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat upon that house, and it fell not, for it was founded upon a rock. And every one that heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them not shall be likened unto a foolish man, which built his house upon the sand. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat upon that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. You see, the rain came on the person who did it the right way, and the person who built the foolish way. God never promised that the Christian walk would be easy. We don't know the day, but we know his name. It's true, we don't know the day Christ will return. We don't know when health might fail, or finances might plummet, or when we're going to die exactly. And we never will know the day, but we know his name. We know him. You know, that's enough for me. If I don't get the, the wealth that I want in this life, it's okay. Hey, my father owns the cattle on a thousand hills. My father spoke everything into existence. You think about that when he said, our father, when they said, teach us to pray, he said, our father who art in heaven. You know what he was, he was signifying there? He said, our, this is free, I'm not, I'm not charging you for this part of the message. When he said our, he was signifying, it's not just my father, it's not just your father, he's all of our fathers Amen. who art in heaven. He created everything here. He spoke it to existence. Hallowed be thy name. He's set apart. He's not your best bud that you can fist bump. He's holy. He's holy. Thy kingdom come. Hey, I can't wait. I can't wait to see the face of Jesus. So, what's it going to be, church? We'll follow you, Jesus, as long as you got your little contingency list. Oh, if he preaches a message like that, oh, this is it for me. Are you okay? Are you okay? Jesus should not have to put on a show or keep performing miracles in your life, even though he does and we don't even see it. He should not have to do that to get us to follow him. Are you following him because he's enough? I'm the bread of life. Follow me. You'll never hunger. You'll never thirst. Just make me enough. 
Because when you get into this thing because of what you can get out of it, Jesus will never be enough. He'll never be enough. I'm here because Jesus, 10 years in the pastorate, I'm here because Jesus is enough. He's enough. Were there, have, have there been reasons through the years that I could have used excuses to leave? It's just getting too hard. It's just getting too rough. Of course, just like you. But I'm not in this thing for what I can get out of it. I'm in it for him. Let's pray. Father in heaven. Thank you for listening to this audio sermon from Lighthouse Baptist Church. For more information about our ministry, go to lbccincy.com.